0: So in season five of Franchise Findings, we're gonna to continue to go through some of the most popular franchises in the United States and globe. Also, we're going through some emerging franchise concepts that have anywhere from two, 500 locations throughout the United States growing and looking to take on the world with their franchise system. We continue to interview founders of franchises as well as franchisees. So a lot of information for you Hope you enjoy season five of Franchise Finance. Hey, I'm Patrick Nadar, your co founder at Vetted Biz. Excited to be on with Charlie Gibran. CPA, specifically focused on the franchise business niche. Um, Charlie, thanks for joining today.
1: Uh, Patrick, it's a, a real pleasure to be with you today. I can't thank you enough.
0: So maybe you could start with telling the listeners a little bit about your professional experience. I understand it's quite different than the the, the typical CPA.
1: Nah, it certainly is. Um, I've always had an interest in business. Uh, it goes back, uh, you know, long uh, long in the past, and. Uh, when I went to college, I said uh, the easiest way to be part of a uh, you know the business uh, environment is to become a CPA. So that's what I studied, and I I came into uh, came out of school with that uh, that degree, and um, worked for a big firm uh, for a couple of years, worked for another couple of firms before I launched my own firm in two thousand three. But ironically, the uh, in 2003 was also the uh, same time that I, uh, with along with a friend, um, was started searching for a franchise, and ended up uh, you know owning two uh, Dunkin' Donuts uh, and a Baskin Robbins included. So, kind of a story past, uh, you know, in that uh, I'm not your typical CPA, in that I actually know how to run a business because I've had to do the things that the business owners that I give advice to um, often have to do.
0: Where was the Dunkin' Donuts located?
1: Um, we had two. One was in Ambler, Pennsylvania, which is about uh, ten miles outside of Philadelphia, and the other was in Lansdale, Pennsylvania, which uh, yeah, about fifteen miles outside of uh, Philadelphia. And
0: I know I don't want to get too too off the track because the focus of, of our, our conversation is more on the accounting side, bookkeeping, year year event, tax planning, sure. um, but. From what I understand, what I've studied, Dunkin' Donuts is quite profitable. And even in the past, like I think when you were running it, the, the profit margin was even higher than it is now in, in 2022. Mm-hmm. Um, but Baskin Robbins, the average unit volume is not as high. And it's just a very different business than Dunkin' Donuts. Was there a reason why you opened up the Baskin Robbins as well? Or was it something that they were kind of pushing to to get the franchisees
1: to open up? Yeah, that's a very good question. It's kind of interesting because of the fact that a a freestanding Baskin in California or other warm climates did very, very well. And it's a very rich ice cream. Uh, so, you know, unlike the Rita's and the Dairy Queen's that have a lot of air and so forth in it, um, you know, the milk fat, you know, very good for your <laughs> diet is uh, is high. Um, but in California, you know, where you have the climate and so forth that works, uh, it's conducive with the, uh, the product, you know, stores did very, very well. Um, here on the East Coast, they, they wanted to try to you know say well you know if somebody loves basket, Dunkin' Donuts, then they certainly are going to be coming back for the baskin because it's a quality um, ice cream. It's a dessert. And that didn't quite work out as well. And you're absolutely correct. Uh, you know, the the profit margin was on the lower side. Um, the Duncans had to staff an extra person at night to, to take care of the uh, the Baskin side. So, um, you know, for a lot of franchisees, weren't that thrilled. So, as you saw, the people go through their remodels, you often saw the Baskins kind of fall by the wayside.
0: We've seen that with uh, young brands, Taco Bell, where they rolled out Taco Bell Express, and like mm-hmm. at its peak, I think mean, it had like 300, 350 units, and it's like. Mm-hmm. Every year, they're like closing like 50, 60, 70. Where it seems like a better approach is like start small, where the franchise or has this idea and like test it out with like a couple of corporate locations before rolling it out with a uh, hundred plus locations. You would think that would be the smartest thing to do, right? <laughs> <laughs> and tell me, how did you juggle running two Dunkin' Donuts um, together with CPA? Or do you think of a break from the public accounting, uh, from, from the accounting work?
1: No, I never took a break. Um, in, in fact, both stores opened in the midst of tax season, I think right around February 15th. And, uh, it was hard, you know, plus I had uh, two young kids. My partner had three young kids. I brought a lot of donuts home at night. So they were <laughs> thrilled. <laughs> but now you know what it's uh, it goes back to organization and um, and being able to have a good work ethic you know I was fortunate with my uh, my parents and and the jobs I had early on that uh, the work ethic that was instilled with me um, basically uh, allowed me to kind of work through all those things I had a very um, you know forgiving wife who looked forward to the uh, you know the rewards of having uh, you know ownership and you know honestly, Um, You know, as we built, as we got into it and, you know, got the second one going and things just got a little bit easier um, because that's what happens. You you, you learn um, and struggle with your first one. And with the second one, you, you kind of know sort of what to expect, how to do it, and you're able to share a lot of the uh, you know people between the two units and, and such. But you know, kind of doing tax season and uh, and such, it was uh, it was difficult, but I, I worked through it. I had uh, one of my um, had one employee who worked with me, and uh, that worked out okay. So yeah, worked hard. That was the biggest thing. And was it a
0: successful exit? Like, I guess, did you recoup your money and more when it came time to sell?
1: Yes absolutely you know Love the uh, um you, know, you get into these things and, and that's one of the parts uh, as i think i mentioned to you um you know previously that i'm um, writing a book but that's the whole thing you know we ultimately uh, um sold it in 2012 so we had one for seven years the other for five years and um you know one of the local franchisees came um and you know offered us a, a deal we couldn't refuse as they say and uh, yeah, so we were thrilled so um, it was it was sort of time because with uh, every franchise, uh, that at least a food franchise, you know, typically at 10 years you have to remodel. So you know the one was approaching the remodel time and the other We're one was, you know,
0: what? 200 300 a
1: education sure. Yeah yeah, basically because you know you basically go through and redo all the machines um, and redo the insides to what's now the current model and, and things so. You know, we just knew, okay, we were getting down to a good point, and uh, there is a value, um, just like anything else, in um, the amount of time left in your uh, franchise uh, period. So for Dunkin' the franchise period was twenty years. So that's
0: right, you know, yeah. Usually we see ten years,
1: but you have some that are five, 10, 20, yeah. 30 even. And that's one thing I say in the book is you really got to look at that because some people say, "Hey, okay, I can twenty five thousand dollars to get into a Rita's. That's a good deal." And I think Rita's currently is a um, uh, it's eight years. Well, versus uh, you know fifty or sixty thousand to a Dunkin' that is a twenty year term. That's that's a much better you know chance to uh, you know make more money. Yeah,
0: and I think also it's like. So you have the renewing the term and the expense of what you're going to have to do to get, get it up to the standard that that brand has. And if you, if there's 50 locations, it's going to be different and, and they're going to be probably mm-hmm. looser than if it's a thousand plus location brand. Sure. But another consideration is when it comes time to sell, like what's a transfer fee like? Like yeah. you have some franchisors where they bake in the, the transfer fee. That's coming out of your pocket, essentially. Where you're going to have to pay, you're you're going to get twenty thousand, thirty thousand, forty thousand dollars less. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they also bake in uh, legal expenses, accounting expenses. So that can be, you know, depending on the size of the business. And I think you, your your business of Dunkin' Donuts, it, it's not as important. But a Rita's Ice, you're selling it for three hundred k, two hundred k, and you have this sixty k transaction cost. And it's like, shoot, what was this? Was this what
1: do? <laughs> now it, it's it's true because you have to remember, you know, you want to say that the, the franchisor is your friend, and to a certain extent they are, but they're in in it for the long haul and they're in it for the money. You know, each month when they get their royalties and the and the ad fees and so forth to promote, um, they, you know, they want to be compensated at the end. And you know, to even to your point, you know, if you want to transfer. Um, you know, ownership, even within, like, maybe I don't want to sell it, but I'm going to add a partner, um, to it. You know, there's rules and regulations that uh, surround that. Yeah, and depending
0: on how <laughs> much the partner has, what percentage that you're going to have yeah. to like get him trained mm-hmm. for thousands of dollars.
1: Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Nothing's free.
0: <laughs> and so you, did, you basically sold your Dunkin' Donuts to a franchisee in an adjacent territory.
1: Yes. That seems like yes. the
0: easiest. We, we get yeah. approached all the time. Hey, I want to sell my franchise. Well, I said, you know, consider talking to the franchise or, and then, mm-hmm franchisees and then you can go to a business broker but expect taking six months to sell the business
1: plus another percentage i mean you, yeah a, clip. usually 10 even 12 uh, in some cases so uh, you know, you're losing that so you, now you got your transfer fees we, we talked about plus <laughs> yeah the broker's fees you know you walk away with nothing <laughs> not not yeah. really not, but,
0: you a know. big item that we do at vetted biz and we haven't um rolled it out yet um, online but we calculate the the resale value so surprisingly there's a lot of franchises where the sweat equity is not built in where the investments say 200k like a subway for example three, 350k to open and they're selling for like 180 200 right so like why would you open up a, a subway if the resales are, are for less and you're not only is your sweat equity not being you know priced in to when you exit but it's it's actually going to be sold at a a monetary
1: loss. Yeah, no, that's, that's a great statement because of the fact, you know, everybody wants to get into these things and right away they think they're going to make tons of money and it's it's hard. And, uh, but you have to do your research because there's things like that, um, um, even from a, a, a possible chance to uh, expand, you know, I think Subway had, um, it was a story I know from a franchisee that I talked to um, that uh, he wanted to expand, but the master franchisor said, mm, no, so he was stuck owning his three and, and he really had the money, he had the uh, wherewithal, the knowledge, everything, but you know, it was almost a personality game. And, and,
0: and then like the strategic buyers, um, you like talking to franchisees that have had a successful exit, a lot of it has been, yeah, a franchisee in adjacent territory, or maybe selling to a private equity firm where you've developed five locations, you have the development rights for another five, yep. and you can... Probably consolidate more in the area, so instead
1: of getting like a four x, five x EBITDA multiple, it could be more like seven, eight x. You know, the, the thing, Patrick, that people don't really know is is really how to sell their business. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, you know, there's a variety of ways. I mean, there's ways to value the business, but you know, synergy is is the key. And I, I think you touched on, you know, if I sold to somebody who is a, a, a an adjacent franchise a franchisee, obviously he knows the market, he knows the geography that you're in. Um, you know, he is best suited for that. And that goes for any business, realistically. I mean, you know, just because you have, uh, you know, whatever you want to call it, uh, XYZ business, yeah. when you look to sell it, you know, maybe just putting it on the market and selling it to Mr. Smith down the street may be the good thing, but you really have to analyze it because you know there are so many opportunities to align with another group that uh, you know possibly could have, you know afford you a lot more. You said seven times, ten times, it could be a lot more. And um, there was a story that I read about a payroll company that basically came to uh, household employees and you know the person uh, thought that they could build the business up and they did and it was it was worth uh, you know, a decent amount of money but when they started to really kind of put together the value they uh, they said well you know what happens if we affiliate with somebody else who can utilize our list of people um, and all of a sudden instead of getting you know what it was they uh, I'm gonna say like a nine million dollar um, you know fee um, they, they sold it for 90 million dollars because you know the other people could although know, the other group who purchased them um, could actually access and you know get so much more money out of it that the business was valued a lot higher than what was originally expected.
0: Yeah. And just thinking a lot, it seems like there's kind of a scale where you have like the the individual financial buyer where he has 500K to maybe 5 million to invest. And Mm -hmm. it's all about the money that he's going to be making and the cash flow of the business, which isn't going to be as desirable as a private equity fund that's really going to be building this up or a franchisee Mm -hmm. that's really going to be building this up. But then even better, you know, to get a pausing on the franchise space is just a multinational, yeah. And they're willing to pay 20 to 30 X EBITDA because they have that one product mm-hmm. and they're going to sell the hell out of it across their distribution channel.
1: For sure. For sure. That's why you have to analyze what you have. Yeah, every business is, I always say that I get I so frustrated in the times because I hear some clients, um, not clients, but people say, yeah, he closed his doors. I said, well, did he sell it? No, he just closed it. And every business has a value.
0: Um, so it's it's December 8th. Um, we actually need, we got to definitely get this pushed out, uh, like next week, uh, cause I want to talk about year end tax planning. So we have a lot of business owners, franchise owners that listen into our YouTube channel podcast. Mm-hmm. Many of them are making, you know, hundred K, 200 K. We have some that are making over a million. Mm-hmm. What should they be thinking about rounding out the year to mitigate the taxes that they're going to have to pay, um, for, for the 2000. Uh, 2022
1: tax year. Yeah, at this time of year, I mean, tax planning is 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 essential to uh, to the business and so forth. So, you know, a couple of things. You know, with the tax act of 2018, sort of made things a little harder um, because it kind of uh, limited many many areas that uh, used to be a little more flexible for business owners and personal people. But the um, in reality, you know, look for you know buying equipment um, because you know that can be written off immediately. So, if there's a piece of equipment that you need. Um, you know, certainly look to add that to your um, to your asset list and, and get it done by de- you know, December 31st, because um, that can obviously you know, come right off the bottom line, which is fantastic. So you can save a nice tax there. The other thing that's kind of fun is, uh, you know, depending upon you know, the size of your organization. Uh, making sure you have a proper uh, retirement plan. You know, everybody hears about the uh, the standard simple plans and the re- um, 401k plans, but there's a, one out there that's kind of interesting called a uh, you know cash balance plan, which you know many of your financial planners will you know know exactly what to do with it. But uh, you know in that one, the uh, owners you know typically are the guys who are making the uh, the most money within the organization, and you know when you combine that with uh, what the rest of the employees are making often they can put a lot of money aside. It's a deduction, um, but the majority of the money goes to the owner. So, so what are that, we talking, $50,000, it, it can. It all depends on the size. But uh, I will tell you a, a real life example. Um, in the first year um, cash balance plan for an organization. They, they were making about uh, you know I think net income of about seven hundred thousand dollars and the w2 for the owner was roughly about 170 he had 15 employees and they ranged in age and they ranged in the uh, amount of money they they were making upwards of about uh, top about 70 or 80000 bucks and I believe the first year he was able to put uh, approximately $180,000 into the plan of which he got one hundred and sixty.
0: dollars okay, so so, you know,
1: yeah. yeah. So think of that. So, you know, you give a little perk to your employees, um, but, you know, wrote off $180,000, which, you know, roughly saved him, you know, thirty six to $42,000 um, plus state tax. And uh, then thinking and about it,
0: compounding. I mean, in 20 years,
1: that $30,000 is probably worth a million. Um, it could be, yeah. So <laughs> yeah. I always, I, I love when I, some nights I can't uh, fall asleep. <laughs> so, and this it's is the, like uh, the, 1. the number 1 guy 1 in times
0: me. the 30,000 times 1.1. <laughs>
1: There's that way, but also I do the rule of 72, which is, you know, you take your, uh, your interest rate, divide it into 72, and that's the number of years it takes to uh, double your money. Ah,
0: smart.
1: Yeah, so that's a fun one. So
0: besides the cash plus, can you think of any other, any other items that that entrepreneurs should be thinking about, or maybe going into 2023 things that you can be doing throughout the year to mitigate your, 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 the tax.
1: Yeah, no, I think it's important to always look at, um, you know, opportunities to, um, well, I think, you know, one of the things you do is you try to look at how you can limit your taxes you know but ultimately what you want to do is you want to maximize your deductions while making the money so you know one uh, one time years ago somebody came to me and they said Charlie, Charlie I'm going to gonna buy this uh, this truck I said that's great and he said $60,000 that's great and he said um, I'm going to save a lot of tax I said absolutely that's that's true I said do you need the truck he said no <laughs> so it's like you know don't spend the money just because it's going to save you back business decisions you know and, and that's what a lot of people unfortunately make the wrong decision. They try to save tax, but don't realize that they actually are just, you know, costing them cash. So, I mean, those are really the primary things that people should sort of focus on. The, the 401k is, um, you know, kind of maximizing your cash flow at the end of the year. I mean, some people will say, uh, they, obviously the stores, uh, food places do not have the opportunity to, because they're c- taking cash and credit cards. But, you know, at the end of the year, some uh, other type uh, service businesses may, you know, Hold checks for a period of time and sure. then uh, you know, make a deposit January second. So that's obviously a good thing. And then uh, if you're a cash basis, uh, you can certainly write out some checks to uh, you know pay for expenses, but you know maybe hold them until uh, just the last minute, uh, you know, December thirty first, before you drop them in the mail. So that helps your your uh, your cash flow. So you get the expense uh, early and maybe uh, deferring that uh, deposit until a little bit later.
0: Yeah, and you mean because you also you never know what what the next year has in store. So yeah. it's like figuring it out for this year and mitigating, well, I, I guess, whatever you're going to have to pay in taxes for this sure. year,
1: 2020. Ultimately it's going to uh, come back to, you know, you'll catch up. Um, you know, when yeah, you go to close the business, you will not yeah. have any expenses, you will have all this cash, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but, but that's a good problem to have. I mean, that's all I think it's, uh, you know, tax minimization is, is the best, um, you know, the thing that we, we do uh, for the clients and you know, kind of project out to where we think you're going to be. And uh You know, just, uh, you know, trying to see what the the client needs to be successful. And
0: with your skill set, and I know you work with all different types of clients, but you, you know, continue to go back to to franchises and working with multi-init franchisees. Tell me why, you know, why why franchises? And I know you had that experience with Dunkin' Donuts, but you could be serving all different types of industries and why focus on franchises?
1: That's a good question. The, uh, we, we do have a variety of, of, of clients, um, but the franchise environment is, is one I just really get get really excited about. I mean, I, I had uh, um, a new client call, you know, at a year and a half ago, and um, they were just talking about getting into a, a franchise. And, you know, for the about 15 minutes, I just was going on and on and you know my heartbeat was getting excited because it's just it's just a passion that i have and you know, one of the things i say is you know when you go to choose a franchise you know find a passion and, and i think to a certain extent running a franchise and assisting someone to be successful in a franchise i found my passion you know accounting's fun and and i love to see a client succeed without a doubt and i tell them at my age now it's all about education mm-hmm. um and but you know now when you, you really Delve into something that you have uh, uh, in-depth knowledge about. You know, as I said with the book, you know, being able to say, "Hey, I wrote a book." Well, now it sort of makes me, uh, you know, somewhat of an expert. Um, That's that's exciting, and actually, I can feel my heartbeat, you know, going up right now just talking about that. (laughs) So, yeah, I I think I can I can serve anybody and uh, give them a lot of knowledge, but the uh, you know just the ability to you know draw upon the things I learned while being in a franchise will give me the ability to teach them. Um, what they can expect, and hopefully uh, knock off some of the things that uh, you know they maybe going to run into some trouble. If they don't run into that trouble, then that's a good thing.
0: How can you help prospective um, franchisees? Someone that's maybe spoken to a few franchisors, maybe they're working with a franchise broker. How can you help them? Um, With the financing or due diligence? How how can you help
1: prospective franchisees? The variety of ways. Um, You know, one of the things, as I said, is that, uh, you know, since I lived through, you know, negotiating leases and working with contractors, um, looking at a variety of uh, franchises before we got into the one that we we chose, um, I think I can sort of lay down some of the things, the pitfalls. Um, obviously, from a um, break even point. I mean, t- that's important. You know, a lot of times you say, hey, this is a great location. Um, and, you know, this is the numbers I think we can do. But, you know, if the rent is going to be, in fact, I had somebody a couple months ago, and the, the rent was astronomical. And I said, there's no way you're going to be successful because that rent is is only going to go up from there. Those are the questions and those are the things that I I can help with. So from a financing standpoint, you get into a new business and, you know, I don't care if you had a great relationship with, uh, you know, the bank down the street for years. And there used to be a, a the good old boy network, you know, uh, I lent to my, my father and I lent to his father mm-hmm. and, you know, the banks would do mm-hmm. that. Yeah. The banks don't do that anymore. So yeah. so now it comes down to hey, you know, Charlie has uh, x dollars uh, to invest. Yeah, but how I don't want to give you a loan unless give it's going to be successful. Yeah, so what happens is that, you know, 90% of the time, you know, first-time franchise ease are going to have to go through SBA. And the SBA has a, a package that they they want. So, you know, one of the things I can help you with is you know, put that package together to present to the SBA so they now are not going to have any questions or at least can go through the package to say, all right, well, this looks like you're going to be successful based on your projections, the amount of money down. The other part, too, is kind of interesting, too, is they um, they always want your initial investment, just like buying a house where, you know, you have to put 5%, 10%, 20% obviously is preferable. SBA wants that. Well, you know, how do you work through that? So... You know, a lot of people miss out on the fact that, well, you know, I did d- do some training, or I did go down to the uh, the business broker. Well, those are expenses; those are investments. Now that I can apply to that twenty percent. So those are the things that you people lose a from a tax standpoint because they'd say, "Oh yeah, I, I didn't include that." That's a true write off that you will be able to take at a point. Um, but it's also now I may not have to come out with the direct cash to go against the uh, the percentage down that the SBA is looking for.
0: That's very cool. I've never thought about that. Way but basically your expenses you've already spent towards the equity contribution that the bank underlining the 7a loan is the 7a sba loans looking for absolutely and then how about with franchisors do you work with any franchise brands and, and doing the the yearly audits or or supporting both the franchisor and the franchisee in the same brand
1: presently we only work with franchisees um, we're looking to try to work with the franchisors Uh, we've developed, um, I'll call it a benchmarking type of software um, that, you know, picks out some anomalies that may occur. And what works is you kind of plug in all of the stores in your network. So, you know, I, ideally, you, know, you can do that at the franchisee level. But, you know, if you were to actually look at that and put it in at the franchisor level, now the franchisor has the ability to perhaps, uh, you know, make a lot more money because it's picking up on some of the things that are just not, uh, um, you know, perfect within a franchise operation. So, you know, we're, we're looking to hopefully work uh, in, in tandem with both those uh, those groups.
0: And how about like on an ongoing basis? I, I meet franchisees that do their own bookkeeping um, other ones that uh, outsource it or even have a full-time person or two doing bookkeeping, um, how do you work with franchisees on an ongoing basis, including with
1: bookkeeping? Yeah, a variety of ways. I mean, there are some that I just do the tax returns uh, because they are, are big enough that they have a, a back room. Um, but quite honestly, we do, um, from the franchisee standpoint to the uh, you know, non-franchises that we work with, uh, we have a prolific uh, bookkeeping group that uh, works remote. And you know, one of my catchphrases is always, you know surround yourself with people who know what you're doing. So that allows you to do what you do best you don't necessarily want to be doing the books you have to know what's in the books and be able to understand your 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 ratios and things like that because ultimately you know there's decisions that have to be made for your expansion based on how your numbers are looking. It's not just about what you have in the bank, but ultimately we um, we can do all the bookkeeping, uh, file your sales tax returns, we can file your royalty uh, statements on a monthly basis. Pretty much act as your entire controller um, in the back room without you me being in the back room. And then uh, you know the other part that we like to offer too is the fact that um, you know with that benchmarking software that we have, you know meet on a quarterly basis and kind of give them some pointers some things to target during the next quarter. So when we meet, we can say, okay, how'd you do here? Because, you know, quite frankly, you know, the franchisor is, they want their money, as we mentioned. The franchisee is sort of on their own island. So now the only people they have to look uh, you know, for some advice is either another franchise franchisee who is in, this, in the same, uh, you know, area and so forth. And a lot of guys are always willing to help, but it's still not your store. So, you know, having a fresh set of eyes, which, you know, we often are the, uh, the, those eyes, it makes it a little bit easier for them to kind of talk, talk to us, almost like a mastermind um, leader. And ultimately what we'd like to have is like a mastermind group where we can put together a whole bunch of franchisees to kind of talk about common things. You know, right now, what's the biggest thing about uh, the industry? It's it's hiring, you know, how do you get people to work? You know, so, you know, they can talk about best practices, you know, sharing uh, uh, some things that maybe were successful and such.
0: I'm surprised more accounting firms don't do that. Because they know their clients' needs so well and they're in a unique position to introduce different business owners where you are a trusted advisor, as are many lawyers, for example, where if they make an introduction and connection, both parties are going to... Give the the full full attention or a lot of attention mm-hmm. to to that introduction being made.
1: That's exactly why we're trying to move into this uh, this field um, because I think it is something that is very beneficial to the franchise community um, because they can uh, really learn. You know, there's there's mastermind groups for accountants. You know, I can imagine those uh, those uh, groups getting together, accounting jokes and things. But uh, <laughs> yeah, we we do learn a lot from each other and what they do, what we do, and how to do it best. So same thing is very true with the uh, the franchise community because there's so many commonalities that uh, they can definitely, uh, you know, learn some things.
0: Well, Charlie, I learned a lot today. I'm sure those listening in as well. Is there any last thoughts you want to to leave with prospective business owners, even current business owners that are listening in or watching on YouTube today?
1: Well, I think, uh, you know, the biggest thing is, you know, if you're choosing a franchise, you know, I used that word passion before, you know, find something you're truly interested in, um, something that you know you can do long-term, but something that's just going to bring you joy because it's it's, you're buying yourself a job. You're buying yourself a proven method, though. You know, you used the, uh, the subway as an example uh, earlier. And if you go into a subway, it doesn't matter where you go. Uh, you know, they carry the knife the, the, the same way. They cut their bread the same way. They bake their bread the same way. And there's a reason for that. You know, it's it's a proven success to present a product that's done properly. Um, you know, same thing is true for a, uh, um, you we'll know, say a lawn care franchise. You know, it's like you may have no idea, you know, I can go to Home Depot or one of those stores and buy my fertilizer, but you don't know exactly how to apply it. Well, now you have the knowledge. So now you have a combination of I want to own my own business I'm gonna choose the right one to have passion and they're gonna teach me how to do it. And I get to do what I like doing, you know, every day. So that that's the key. So if you look forward and pick those type of things as uh, as you're going through, uh, you're I think you'll do well. And you know, just keep track of your numbers. You know, that's the accountant in me because you know too many clients come to me and say I don't understand my numbers. Yet they got into a business, and and that's that's hard. So that's why I said you know education is key. But you know, being able to track to see it's uh, you know where your numbers really are and how you're doing will make your life a lot better and ultimately you'll be successful
0: over, over the last few years working with your Large breadth of clients, any industries that really piqued your interest, where you were kind of surprised and like, oh wow, the, the financial numbers make a lot of sense here.
1: I always loved, uh, believe it or not, orange theory. I thought it was a uh, a pretty cool one. I um, don't you know if you ever work out one of those, but it's uh, it was it's an intense one. Recurring yeah.
0: revenue business yeah.
1: model. Oh yeah, no, it, it's it's great. So you know they were they were uh, they piqued my interest. Um, the also the massage places like. Uh, Massage uh, Lux and um, I think it was a massage or hand in stone. Um, you know, those uh, are very profitable uh, as well. But again, just because one's profitable, doesn't mean the nails is going to be, it's all based on location and you know, what the uh, geography looks like. So you have to be careful.
0: Well, Charlie, thanks so much for, for joining and uh, let us know when you release your book and we'll be sure to add that into the description of this video.
1: Now, thanks again for having me. It's been, uh, been a great day. I appreciate it. Thanks Charlie. Welcome. I hope
0: you enjoyed today's podcast episode. You can leave us a review if you enjoyed the podcast episode. If you hated the podcast episode, let us know what you thought, as well as what future episodes you'd like to hear. Feel free also to drop me a line at patrick@vettedbiz.com and subscribe please to our YouTube channel, Business and Franchise Opportunities by Vetted Biz. This has been Franchise Findings Podcast. Thanks for listening.